1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. And this week, I am talking with someone who is definitely all about you getting a better handle on your productivity. It's Chris Bailey, who has previously been on the show before, talking about his site, A Year of Productivity, which was his project that he then turned into A Life of Productivity, his site. And it is now a book. The Productivity Project, Accomplishing More by Managing Your Time, Attention, and Energy. And if you know anything about Chris, he is all about that intersection between time, attention, and energy. We go deep dive into all three of those topics in this conversation. I know you're going to love it. It is always a pleasure to talk with Chris and learn more about what he's learned by experimentation in the realm of productivity. So without further ado, enjoy. This week is my privilege to welcome back to the show one of my favorite productivity people, Chris Bailey. Chris, privilege. Welcome back. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, I don't, I mean, here's here's the thing. I say yeah. it's my privilege to every single guest. Oh,
2: so. you say that? Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not a specialized treatment, then, is what you're saying. No,
1: I'm saying every guest is special.
2: Oh, okay. In their own special exactly. snowflake way. I, exactly.
1: Thanks for having me on and, again. And man. not in the Incredibles way where Dash says, well, when we're all special, no one's special yeah everybody's but, uh, special it's, it's it everybody is special but or at least it, it all takes, your guests yes, all your podcast guests. It's not be, expe- exactly because not every person in the world who is special because you all are it gets to be on the show
2: everyone else it's kind of up in the air right it is yeah
1: man just downing everybody right at the front end of the show yeah uh, but,
2: no but, listen <laughs> listeners to this podcast yes, are pretty special they are anyway we you got are. derailed pretty quickly it's like 10 seconds in i know
1: it's pretty so, good, and that's much worse than last time. You were on a year <laughs> and a half ish ago, at around episode seventy eight. I should have pulled. I sh- I did pull that up. I should have kept it up and said, but it's it's about you know. Let's see here. You know what? There's nothing more fascinating on podcasting than somebody live googling something. But I want to know specifically <laughs> which episode exactly it is because when? why not. And they always say that they're going to edit, but they never do. And I was right. It is 78. So if – if you want as long to as you're to,
2: good at talking over when you surf the internet like I, I feel there are some people who can because I listen to a lot of podcasts all the time there are some people when they surf the internet they can talk over it they, they keep you engaged they keep you entertained and some people I just totally lose them and skip the <laughs> you know press the 30 second skip
1: yeah so last episode you were on it was episode 78 so beyond the to-do listcom slash 78 that'll take you to the first episode it's not a prerequisite to listen to that we are going Going to touch on a lot of different stuff that was in then what was in that episode, but let's set up Chris and say you did a year of productivity, a, a year of doing a bunch of different self projects on you know testing out all these different productivity theories and yeah and all that and and you have a blog uh, yeah called a year of productivity. Actually, you've you've changed stuff up. How how have you changed stuff? Up? I know, <laughs> yeah, well, I was I, going to say. I, I figured out when I
2: finished the year of productivity, you know, I gained a a reasonable following uh, and I realized that, you know, I could, probably keep doing this if i really wanted to and that's exactly what i did um because the whole you know the, the year of productivity in a nutshell uh in case somebody is too lazy to go back because it, it's a it's a long process to go back and you know scroll through a million episodes to download episode 78 um but
1: no i gave them the link they just need to go
2: oh right they they have the link yeah beyond the
1: well no right here beyond the to-do list.com slash oh, 78 that's so easy and in so, the show notes.
2: Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So so after my productivity project, which was a year long, so hence it was called a year of productivity where I conducted experiments on myself. I interviewed the gurus. I dove into the academic research. Um, I figured I could keep doing it for a bit longer. So I changed the blog to a life of productivity and at the same time really started hunkering down on a book project. It's called the productivity project. And um, yeah, excited about both of those things.
1: So that is the key piece there is, and especially because you, you key in on really the three biggest and most com- important components of what productivity is or how we achieve productivity, I should say. Yeah. And it's right there in the subtitle. It's, you know, the productivity project subtitle, accomplishing more by managing your time, attention and energy better.
2: Yeah. And that was, that was one of the curious things. And it's one of these things where, um, I didn't realize it during the project, but when I kind of stepped back to reflect on everything, I realized that everything I experimented with when it came to productivity and all the research that I stumbled upon fit into those three buckets. There was nothing that really fit outside of that model when it came to how much I accomplished over the course of every day. And then then I kind of came to the realize that and I keep looking because I have this nerdy scientific mind for things that fit outside of this kind of model that fit outside the model of time, attention and energy, but I can't really find it. And I, I think these are kind of the confines of productivity, the the constraints that we have um, and the things that we have to manage over the course of the day. So that's what the book is about on a broader level is about the best ways, the tactical ways. There's not too much fluffy stuff in the book um, to manage those three things.
1: You're, you're right. I mean, there isn't a lot of fluff. There's a lot of tactical. I mean, you set stuff up for sure. Yeah, well, then it's fully tactical.
2: The thing is, like, if you look at the cover of the book—not not not the galley cover that that (laughs) my publisher sent you, which is ugly as sin—but the actual cover of the book, which is uh, it's really playful. And I think you know that's the tone that I tried to achieve with the book because the idea of the book isn't to make you know kind of a dull academic-looking thing. It was to make something that makes productivity accessible to more people because I think when it comes to the people who are really into productivity you have the more sort of business efficiency minded people um who really are into productivity and chances are um you know that includes me that includes you that in- probably en- encompasses a lot of the listeners that we have right now um, that we haven't lost from the beginning portions of the podcast yet right. um may you know the podcast is still young so we might lose them but but you have these business minded people and then you have the rest of the population who who sees productivity as something that's cold, something that's kind of corporate and all about efficiency and almost a necessary evil to the way that they work, not something that is so central to the way that they work. And the argument that I try to make in the book is that, you know, in as few words as possible to get more to the tactics, but that productivity should live At the center of our work. It's the lifeblood of how successful anybody is in the workplace. And it's the lifeblood of any successful corporation as well.
1: Yeah, you're hitting it right on the head here, I think, in terms of the audience for the book and even the audience that is, you know, that makes up the listeners of this podcast, which I would describe as people who are trying to figure out, you know, day in, day out, and week in and week out how they can maintain a higher level of energy and accomplish things at work, at home, with their family. You know, they they either are drinking lots of coffee at times that they need to, <laughs> yeah. uh they're then kicking back with an, you know, a, a, an alcoholic beverage of choice per se, maybe in the maybe, evenings. Maybe, perhaps, uh, perhaps they're maybe living for the weekend to take a, a break and unplug. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing wrong with some. A lot of these things, actually. Uh, I'm just trying to describe a, a more you know full picture here. Uh, they maybe commute to a daily job. They maybe remotely work from home. Yeah. Um, but they're just trying to figure out how it is to move forward and improve, you know, the quality of their life as it moves forward and get the most out of their time without forgetting those most important tasks or relationships. Yeah. And and the so. thing
2: is, is there's just so much out there. You know, if you Google productivity hacks, you know, life hacker and life hack and all these uh, sites will come up. And frankly, like what I found in the project, and we can dive into some of the tactics that work, is that so many of the productivity stuff out there, it it doesn't work. You know, I'd say for everything that does work, there is at least, you know, one hack, one productivity tip that doesn't. And so when it came time to separate the things that I experimented with um, that worked from the things that didn't, I found the pool of stuff that didn't work to be so much bigger. Um and, hmm. and the reason for that is, you know, productivity is important, right? It 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 drives how successful we are. But at the same time, you know, for every minute you spend reading about productivity, you have to make that minute back and then some, or else you're just looking at productivity porn, as people like to say. Right. And that that I think is a key. Um, you know, when you look at the return on so much of the productivity advice out there, it's it's so much. There's so much gold out there too, you know, so much low hanging fruit and also things that take some effort, but there's so much out there that will actually let us accomplish more. And this is, this is something I've realized lately, but the difference between the least productive people and the most productive people is massive. Uh, you know, the most productive people, it's not like they're 10 or 20 or 30% more productive than everyone else. They're 20 times more productive or 50 times more productive in how much they accomplish every single day. And I find that fascinating. You know, just what makes these people tick and what tactics do they use to get there?
1: You know, I I find that so interesting. Yeah. Well, and and what you're getting at here is, it's it's multiplication. It's it's not just, hey, I've like you said with the you know, if you could sit down and read something about productivity or, uh, for example, listening to this podcast. Yeah. um, You're not for every minute that you, you like you said, making back those minutes that you spent listening to this. So, for example, if somebody listens to this and it ends up being about 30 or 40 minutes or so that mm. the 30 or 40 minutes that they've listened to this, that 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 investment will not just have been something that now it bought them back those same minutes on the back end that hopefully as we're about to do here and walk through some of these specific tactics, yeah. that those, these tactics, these tactics are going to buy you back uh, your investment of 30 to 40 minutes in this show right now. Listening are yeah. going to buy you back multiplied uh, exponentially numbers past 30 or 40 minutes that, that over the course of the next day, week, month, year, et cetera, you're going to find hours and weeks of time that you now have back or are, you know, that are able to be leveraged against something else because of these tactics. So I think we should just dive in.
2: Yeah, let's do that, man. So one
1: of the, one of the key things (laughs) that I, that stood out to me, especially because, hey, you're, you know, three-pronged approach here is time attention and energy is this idea of the rule of 3 which yeah. you know you didn't really invent it but you no. have kind of a i don't know a, a unique perspective on it so
2: it's it's been around forever and it's been written about by so many people and it's because you know the number 3 is so deeply embedded in the way that we live and the way that we work and y- you don't think about that much but we Categorize the world around us into three parts. We divide stories into three parts. We have the beginning, the middle, and the end. We have three Olympic medals. We have the three little bears, the three musketeers, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, You know, so many sayings, so so much cultural uh, stuff is grouped into three and I have no idea why I keep trying to talk to researchers and everybody (laughs) like that. Um, maybe it's that we can, uh, you know, three is the average number of conscious thoughts that we can keep in our head at one time. That's, that's a hypothesis that I have that probably isn't true, but besides the point, um, where our brain is wired to think in threes. Um and I think that comes down to prioritizing what we spend our time, our attention and our energy on. And this is a mistake a lot of people make. Um you know, some people make a mistake of uh planning all day long and they spend half their day planning and half their day working and they become much less productive because they waste half their day. Um but a lot of people make the mistake in the other direction where they don't become deliberate about the work that they do. And this is one of the, you know, in addition to the time, the attention and the energy stick, st- I guess you can call it that I have with the book. Um, I have this idea that productivity Isn't about doing more faster. It's about doing the right things, uh, with deliberateness and with more intention behind them. And this is something I came to realize, uh, in the productivity project that I conducted is that's what the most productive people do. They don't only manage the three ingredients of productivity. They also step back, um, throughout the day, at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the week to, Think about what they want to become more productive on, and so they, that they can work more deliberately towards those things and The rule of three you know you can download every app under the sun and implement all the productivity tactics and hacks and systems under the sun, but something that I found that all of those systems had in common you know that they is they were great for organizing everything on my plate, but when it came time to work with more deliberateness towards what was in the system, I found that I was just you know, shuffling words around in an app and not really caring more about what I had to get done every day. And that's when I stumbled upon the rule of three. I I first stumbled upon it, and if you're a huge productivity geek like us, I really recommend this book, um, from a book called Getting Results the Agile Way by J.D. Meyer. He's Microsoft's director of something or other. (laughs) <laughs> I, for, I forgot, is the director of some, he's like some important guy at Microsoft, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the the book is so simple in how it approaches productivity. And The Rule of Three, I think, is the most golden of nuggets that I discovered from the book. And it's been covered by everyone from Gina Trapani of Lifehacker to, oh man, who, Leo Babauta, is that how you say yes. his name? Yes. Yeah, it, did I get it right? I think, yes, you did. Okay, cool, cuz when I was recording the audiobook, they they like made me get every name right, and that's what how I said his name, so it's good. Um and the the rule of 3 is very simple. So at the start of every day, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask, you know, what three things will I want to have accomplished by the time the day is done? And it's so simple, right? And it's so lightweight, but You take that time to figure out what's important, but at the same time, what isn't important. And you separate um, kind of the important parts of your day from the stuff that isn't. But where I found it came, especially in handy, is when everything hit the fan, when all the crap hit the fan throughout the day, it kind of served these three things as a guiding light to, you know, when I... Buckle down in the trenches throughout the day um, for what was important. And that's the rule. It's so lightweight. It's so simple. It doesn't take forever to plan it. You can use it in conjunction with other systems. But the key behind it, I think, is this deliberateness. And this is something that most of the tactics that I talked about, actually pretty much every single one of them has in common, is they're not about doing more and faster. You know, you still have to work hard. There are some people that say, you know, working smarter is a substitute for working hard, but I don't totally buy that. But every tactic in the book um, kind of circles around that deliberateness that I think exists in the heart of becoming more productive. Man, that was a long answer. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs>
1: um, I, I would say, and this just came to me, so trademark, uh, yeah. you, heard, you heard it here first. Okay. I think that working smarter is a form of working harder. I think so. It's not. It, I mean, again, we we're trying to. Most people are saying, "Hey, work smarter, not harder." What they really mean is like, "Hey, how can I get this done better and faster without having to do as much work behind it? How can yeah. I get more ROI?" I think it's just it's working smarter. You know, knowing how something works and knowing not just how it works, but maybe how you can make it work better or how you can make yourself work better is a form of working harder. So, Yeah. And,
2: and anyway. I think, you know, the, the care and the motivation, though, you need. But yeah. I think, you know, most motivated people also care about working smarter. So you kind of get that mm-hmm. embedded in there. too. Right.
1: <laughs> so so I, I don't I don't look at those two things as mutually exclusive.
0: Slash to do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: If you enjoy Beyond the To Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, thgshubox dot com to learn more.
1: Yeah, that um, makes sense. When it comes to the rule of three, though, you're talking about like first thing in the morning for so, for example, today as we record this, this yeah. morning I would have said one of the po- important things for me today is to record with Chris. Yeah. However, I already knew this was on my plate, you know, on my calendar for days and days and days, so yeah. or in even weeks, and so it's like. That is it. Is it a visualization thing? Is it a reprioritization thing throughout the day? Is it? Because I, I mean, I wonder. You know, is is the quote unquote magic in the okay? This morning I woke up and then I decided what I was going to do or knew what I was going to do based on a you know a larger list that you select from, et cetera.
2: I, I think part of it is when you capture so much, um, you know, so many of these systems, especially getting things done, you know, it has you capturing every task under the sun. And it has so many project. you know, you have so many projects, so many tasks going on at one point. And, and that's a part of it. But I think an equally large part is taking the time to understand the constraints that you have. And so, you know, the three ingredients of product time, attention and energy, you know, you only have so much of all three. Um, in you know if i 'm doing a talk um, a, a big speech somewhere i 'm going to have less attention to devote to the other things in my work because i 'm going to be worrying about this talk leading up to it um, you know no matter how much I speak, I seem to always worry about talks no matter how good. I think they're going to go. And so, you know, keeping in mind the constraints, I think is another huge thing, but setting out these intentions at the same time. So, you know, on, on my list today, I had, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of interviews these days about the book. So I, the first item on the list is rock, uh, the interviews with Eric and everyone else. Um, the second one is finish boring accounting stuff. Um, and the third is send off all the emails I have loaded up and, and written. One of those things was on my calendar, but the other two weren't. And I think it's it's a time to understand the constraints that you have in time as well. Because some days, my day is full of meetings. And I don't have a choice but to spend time on that stuff and not much on other things. But I think it comes back to... Taking that time to just think about, and it takes, you know, just a few minutes what you're going to become productive on during that day. Okay. Does that make sense? It, that does. it does. It okay. does. And,
1: and and so and and before we move on to something that's that's almost directly related to this, because you were literally just talking about these other tasks like boring accounting stuff. Yeah, it's so I, boring. I would love to hear you reiterate <laughs> this reasoning behind. Why we tend to procrastinate, especially yeah. on things that are big, and you even refer to them as big ugly tasks.
2: Yeah, it's you know there are some ugly tasks in our work. Like if you look at like what's something that you've procrastinated on? I'll I'll try to think about me. For me, it's like the tax stuff. To be honest with you, the accounting stuff. Uh-huh. What about what about you? Yeah. Can you think um, of something?
1: I, I would say I've been working on getting something set up for to give away to everybody who joins my mailing list. Oh. and it's in final cool. stages finally but yeah. again it's one of those things it's big and it's complicated and it requires more time and attention and energy for me to focus on it and it's one of those things where it's like you really don't want to screw it up yeah but you're just like oh my gosh <laughs> like
2: accounting stuff oh my right. gosh i hate accounting so much It's so why i have accountant but i still like can't escape the fact that i have to calculate numbers i'm so bad at it but <laughs> if you look at if you look at the things that we're putting off. And by the way, procrastination, I, I've interviewed several procrastination experts for the book. And one of them told me that, you know, procrastination is simply human. It's human to put off stuff. And this guy found, uh, Pierce Steele. He's a researcher, I think at the university of Calgary, if I'm right, I'm probably wrong. Cause I just pulled that university <laughs> out of thin air. Um, uh, but it, it seems to come to mind. Um, uh, he, he said that he's found that 95% of people admit to procrastinating on stuff and that he thinks the other 5% are lying. And I would tend to agree with him because if you're human, there is always a gap between what you know we talk I talk about intentions a lot in the book a lot of people talk about intentions there's always a gap that exists between a lot of things that we intend to accomplish and what we actually accomplish and that gap it's it's a chasm for for a lot of people is what productivity is designed to bridge and you know if if we acted perfectly on everything that we intended to do. Uh, we would be a machine, we would be a robot, or we would be a psychopath who, you know, has no emotions to get in the way of what they intend to accomplish. Um, you know, whether a psychopath can actually form intentions is another debate for another day. But... <laughs> there's always that gap that exists and, you know, it doesn't exist for everything, but the, what I found is the closer we can bring uh, intention down to the moment to moment things that we do, um, the more productive we can become. And so it's one thing to plan out what we need to work on in general in a system. Um, but it's another thing to form these intentions at the start of every week. You know, it makes us more likely to accomplish them. That's why the rule of three works so well is it brings it down to every day, you know, by, choosing the three things that you do you choose what you don't do you understand your constraints you set intentions that are more specific this is also by the way and a lot of people shut off when they hear this word why mindfulness is so integral to productivity and mindfulness what it means is just doing one thing at one time and being aware of how you're thinking and how you're feeling about that thing that you're doing at that one time and you create um as a consequence of this, you create more attentional space around the work that's in front of you. That's all mindfulness is. Um, and it brings that deliberateness down to the moment to moment basis where you can observe yourself, you know, being resistant to certain tasks and loving other tasks. But if you look at Um, you know, I I find the science behind a lot of productivity fascinating, but I find the science behind procrastination, especially fascinating. It turns out there are certain triggers, um, certain attributes that a task can have that make you more likely to procrastinate on it. And this is what Tim Pitchlow has found. He's a researcher at Carleton University. Um, You can Google that and double check, I'm pretty sure. Um, But he's found that There are seven of these attributes, and they're whether a task is boring, whether it's frustrating, whether it's difficult, whether it lacks personal meaning, whether it lacks intrinsic reward, so it's um, rewarding in and of itself, um, or it's ambiguous, or it's unstructured. And if you look at the two tasks that we're putting off, you know, the newsletter perks for you, the boring accounting stuff for me, I'm looking up the three things that I intended to accomplish today. And it says boring accounting stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the word boring because, you know, it's it's so boring. But both of these tasks have pretty much every trigger. They're boring, frustrating, difficult Um You know, yours is meaningful. Mine isn't. I don't find giving money to the government meaningful. Um, you know, maybe they're rewarding in and of themselves, but they're definitely ambiguous. They're both definitely unstructured. And this is why we've been putting them off. Um, and, and the good part though is that you can look at those same triggers and make a plan to flip them. And so, for an example, for the tax stuff, I bought a fancy Starbucks drink today so I could, you know, do that over a coffee because, you know, it doesn't require a ton of, um, a ton of attention. I can put on some music at the same time. Um, I can research, I can plan ahead, which makes these things make it less boring and frustrating and unstructured, which lets me do a better job of them. And so by understanding the triggers that a task sets off, um you combat procrastination at the same time
1: so aside from that though are there any kind of procrastination cheats say i'm you know putting something off yeah over and over again to make sure i'm at least getting something done what do you suggest
2: i, I would suggest making a list of all these triggers that the ta- that the task sets off um but a- another thing that somebody can do is procrastination is a purely emotional response to certain tasks there's no logic in procrastination whatsoever um, you know if there was we wouldn't be procrastinating and if you look at a brain scan of somebody who's procrastinating you'll see that their amygdala their limbic system which is the instinctual the lizard brain part of somebody's brain is fired up while the logical part of their brain is kind of you know yeah, you know, it's not doing much. It, you know, it's doing a little bit, but not that much. Um, it's kind of giving in to the emotional part of the brain. And, you know, th- this is, th- this is a huge thing because by firing up the logical part of your brain, um, you can actually allow yourself to overcome that emotional part of your brain. So when you see yourself procrastinating on something or see, your, you know, I, I did this with this task <laughs> because I found myself putting it off. For a day or two. So I sat down, I made a list and a plan to flip them to make it more entertaining. Uh, I made a simple list of the costs of putting it off and making a list of the costs of putting something off. Um, it's very, it's a very simple tactic, but it's a logical tactic that allows you to fire up the logical part of your brain to overcome the emotional part of your brain. I, I find it, you know, fascinating to start at the brain science behind a lot of this stuff and work backwards to the productivity tactics as opposed to the other way around. But I think the key is to be logical about how you approach procrastination as, as difficult as that is, because, you know, it adds to the challenge, right? Because it it requires more energy to fire up that part of your brain when you're putting st- something off in this emotional state, but it, it really does work.
1: So, so assessing that Uh, so one kind of assessing the triggers, but also assessing like your emotional response even, and then looking and seeing, you know, what's the detriment to me, even future me, um, if I don't do this or if I don't do this now or don't do this soon is what you're saying is, is what's going to help us get out of that pit of not getting that thing done.
2: Yeah. If you list kind of every cost under the sun, you know, the financial costs, the emotional costs, the relationship costs. If there's no cost to putting something off, chances are it's not important in the first place. And so when you make a list of all these costs, you know, it's, it's a huge thing that you can do.
1: One of the goals of productivity is to have that future me yeah be a better person than the person you are right now <laughs> yeah. and one of the things that I found was fascinating and I've even done this myself so it was kind of cool to see somebody else doing it cool is to send yourself a letter from uh well one I've done it two ways send yourself a letter uh from future you to you now and vice versa I've done so
2: cool yeah the, yeah that's that's one of my favorite tactics and it, it sounds like it wouldn't work but Again, if you look at the the neuroscience behind it, I don't want to bore I don't want people's eyes to glaze over with the neuroscience, but the neuroscience behind this is fascinating too. If you found yourself in an fMRI machine, which is a brain scanning machine that measures uh, the changes in blood flow in your brain, and you thought about your future self, and then you thought about you know, a couple of minutes after thinking about your future self, you thought about, you know, George Clooney or Angelina Jolie. I I don't know any celebrities. Those are the only two that come to mind for the male and female. Um, You would find something fascinating. And what you would find is that the two scans would be really, really similar. In fact, almost identical. Um, this is what Hal Hirschfeld has found. He's a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. I, I say that because I have the book open in front of me. There's no way I would ever remember that. But he, he conducted this exact study and he found that people see their future self as no different from a total stranger, and it's really, and this is exactly why we do things like give more work for our future self by putting the the aversive tasks off to another day, or you know, scheduling meetings or coffee dates with people we actually don't want to get in touch with in the future, or keep documentaries loaded is, up in our Netflix queue or save. It
1: be, it's so it's you're saying it's because we don't care as much to commit to something because it's the future self that's going to have to do it not me.
2: It's yeah and, and it feels like we're putting off something um for a total stranger to do. Huh. You know, we don't imagine our present self having to do the work. And again, it's it's like the gap between intention and action. You know, it's it, there's also a gap that exists between our present day self and um and our future self whether it's a month down the line whether it's half a year down the line like it, it, it just think about this example right if if i asked you to if you wanted to run a marathon with me eric eric do you want to run a marathon with me 6 months from now you probably wouldn't exactly say yes because it's you can see that amount of time in the future but if i asked you and this is an extreme example if you wanted to run a marathon 3 or 4 years from now chances are you're a lot more likely to say yes because you see that distant version of yourself to uh, a t- total stranger. And right. so this is why tactics like writing a letter to you your future self there's a an app that I love for the iPhone called Aging Booth. I don't know, have you heard of this thing?
1: Uh yeah, I think so.
2: It, it it basically you take a selfie and then you load it up into this app and it shows you what You'll look like in forty or fifty years. The result, and I have a picture in my office on the bookshelf that's framed of me as my older self. And people are usually a bit freaked out when they see that, but it's. Is that, uh,
0: hey, is that your dad?
2: You, no, it's <laughs> it's me from the future.
1: What was and, the app's name again?
2: Uh, aging booth, because <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a stupid tactic, right? But it, it totally works.
1: Yeah. So what's the benefit here of writing that letter? <sighs>
2: it 's that you don't you no longer see your future self as a stranger, and you make that bridge between your current self and your future self and you know not everybody needs to do this and I try to make that clear in the book its it 's a fun thing to do, regardless of right. who you are, but if you are you know if you don 't procrastinate that much chances are you don't need to do this. Um, and it, it's not for everyone. But if you do find yourself procrastinating quite a bit, and you think about yourself in the future, and you know, you can't visualize yourself at all. And that's another thing that works, by the way, for doing this is just, you know, visualizing yourself in the future. And I'm not a huge fan of visualizations by, by most definitions of it, cause right. they seem kind of corny. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is one instance where I found that they really do work is just imagining yourself in the future and how putting stuff off today will compromise the success of yourself in the future. Cause you really are the same person. Um, and so depending there's, there's one, measure of this called your future self continuity. And it's, not, it's a boring name for something that's, um, that's kind of simple is basically how much overlap is there between your current self and your future self? You know, there are some people that see themselves as a total stranger and there's some people that, that are quite in touch with their future self. And so if you find that you're kind of, uh, if you're kind of disenchanted with your future self or your kind of long lost future self um, you know, this, this might be worth doing, you know, firing up aging booth, um, creating a visualization of yourself in the future or, you know, writing a letter to your future. I wrote, uh, I included a nice awkward letter in my book from uh, future me or to future me (laughs) from my (laughs) past self that people can enjoy.
1: Well, and and I think that's the thing is we as human beings have this, like strange relationship with time, I mean, yeah, and the fact that again, in the book, I found this fascinating, by the way, the fact that uh time zones, really, as we know them now, did not exist uh prior to about a hundred and i don't know fifty eighty years to now, yeah, uh from now in the past, I should say, yeah, um, and it's just insane to me that like we we just have gone from this shift of. Uh, the, the, the way we work, what we're working on in general, and, yeah. you know, how we understand time and how much of the day we are working. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me. And one of, the, one of the experiments, one of the experiments that you actually did was this thing called, or that had to do with, uh, working 90 hour weeks, which, yeah, that was just insane. And, and I think the thing, you know, ultimately the lesson there is, um, you can work more hours, but past a certain point of hours, you're not really getting more done. You're just spending more time on the task.
2: Yeah. And and another thing, you know, Parkinson's law. Have you heard of Parkinson's law?
1: Now, is that the one I, I'm, I always confuse it with <laughs> with, per, the, with, with Pareto? Yeah, me yeah. too, man. Me too.
2: I, I mixed it up the other day. So let's,
1: let's state what both of those are.
2: So Pareto principle is that not all tasks are made equal. Um, there are some tasks that give you a disproportionate amount of return on your time relative to other tasks. Um, it's it's also known as the 80-20 rule in a lot of cases. Gotcha. Or yes, rule. yes. Uh, yeah, I, then, I prefer the eighty twenty rule yeah. <laughs> to the Paretta. Yes. This is, by the way, like a cool name to be, a cool way to become famous. It's like find a very simple rule that's very obvious in hindsight and name it after yourself. Right. But well, Parkinson's law, named after Mister Parkinson, <laughs> I forget his <laughs> first name. So maybe the the rule doesn't work all that well. Uh, but I can tell you what university he's from. That 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 law is that the a task expands to fit the amount of time that you have available for it. And I found it, yeah, to that point, I discovered... In that experiment, you know, for for an entire month, I worked uh, alternating between working ninety hours one week, then twenty hours the next, then ninety, then twenty. Because the productivity project was fundament- fundamentally a research project first and foremost, and so I had the flexibility within that sandbox to do this. And I found that I felt infinitely more productive in those ninety hour weeks than I did in the 20 hour weeks. And I felt a lot of guilt coming up to the surface um, in those 20 hour weeks, which I experimented with and write about a bit too. But when I looked, you know, productivity isn't about how much you produce, it's about how much you accomplish. And when I looked at how much I accomplished in both of these weeks, I found kind of the most surprising thing um, during my project. And that was that I accomplished about the same in both of those weeks. In the 90 hour weeks, my work expanded to fit the amount of time that I had available for it. But the other thing, in addition to this rule that I discovered, was that there's this deep, deep relationship between your time and your energy. And, you know, let's say, let's say somebody phones you up, Eric, and says, you know, You know, that contest you entered, uh, you know, a few weeks back, you won and and you're going to Australia tomorrow. Uh, I, I would imagine that you would somehow find a way to get the rest of the week's work done leading up to that surprise trip. Because you would have no other choice but to expend more energy over that shorter distance of time. And I found the same thing held true. Um, you know, in the, in the 20 hour weeks, not only did I prevent the tasks in my work from expanding to fit how much time I had for them, but I forced myself to expend more energy over a shorter distance of time in order to get everything that I had to do done. And this is why the, Marginal returns on spending more time on our work past the point of 35 to 40 hours um, are very, very low. It turns out that for every hour of overtime that you work past 35 or 40 hours, the actual amount that you accomplish keeps diminishing and diminishing until I think it's something like three 70-hour weeks um, you accomplish no more than you would have working 40-hour weeks. And it's because you allow your work to expand and you do more busy work and also you expend less energy. Another cool thing that I discovered was that by shrinking the amount of time that you spend not only on your work in general but for specific tasks in your work, you can expend more energy on those as well um, so for an example, if you have that uh, you know those boring tax taxes to do or you know the that newsletter job that you are putting off as well instead of you know in addition maybe to flipping the triggers that they set off to listing out the costs of doing you know, not doing those things um, and getting in touch with your future self, um, shrinking how much time you spend on it. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to spend the entire afternoon doing this newsletter job, or I'm going to spend the entire afternoon uh, working on my boring accounting stuff, you say, okay, I'm only going to spend... Ninety minutes today, and I'm going to aim to get the entire job done. It has the same effect where you by shrinking how much time you spend on it, you force yourself to expend more energy over a shorter distance of time in order to get everything done <clears throat> and you know you, you you mentioned you mentioned a bit of when we didn't keep track of time you know in, in the industrial revolution that's when we started tracking everybody's time because time became money. You know, how many, there was a direct correlation between how much we produced and how much we accomplished every day. You know, because we did factory work, if we worked 12 hours, we would get twice as much done as when we worked six hours. But the thing that has shifted with knowledge work today, when we transition from working in factories to working in an office environment, is that productivity makes the difference between somebody who accomplishes a lot and somebody who accomplishes a little. So if you can't focus on your work, for an example, um, if, if you're constantly distracted or interrupted or, you know, wasting time on the Internet or procrastinating, you're going to get a fraction of the amount of work done as somebody who brings a lot of focus and a lot of energy to your work. That's what has kind of shifted, right, is when we went from the factory to the office, it was not only our time that was relevant, it was also how much energy and attention that we bring to our work that has become relevant as well.
1: I think that's one of the things the reasons why it, it just it makes so much sense that we do kind of these tests on ourselves and look to see, you know, what it what is it I'm spending my time on? How am I yeah. structuring my week? How am I filling my day with five things instead of three? Because then suddenly it's like, oh, I gotta not only do I have to do these three things, but I've got two more, but if I only chose three to kind of bring it back around full circle here, uh, if I only chose three, then I can make sure that, uh, and again, let, you know, let's, so let's, let's take that. Let's take those three things. Let's take the rule of three and compare it to, uh, Parkinson's because here's where I see a conflict and, and tell me how we fix this. If we only choose three things, but we've got eight hours or more, or maybe you're saying we need to choose less than eight hours, whatever. Um, Yeah. But by the way, just
2: just a point on that before you finish the question, like I'm not railing against crunch time. Um, You know, crunch time is essential. Um, You know, working long hours in order to ship an important project. It's unavoidable. Um, And sometimes it would even be foolish to go home instead of working an insane week to, to ship an important project. But what what these studies back up is that beyond a week or two um there is this cliff that your productivity begins to to fall off of i, I just wanted to add yeah. that kind of asterisk okay. to that point cuz there there are certain cases where it's essential almost um but in the long term it's It can obliterate your productivity, and you know the same is true in your personal life as well. Um, You know, so many people are they they believe they're working at capacity in their personal life, and then the new season of House of Cards drops, or you know whatever your TV show of choice is, and you magically find the time to watch eleven hours of Netflix in a week, and that time has to come from somewhere, and it comes from the tasks that expand to fit how much time you have for them. And by the way, I'm speaking from experience. There, Yes. I'm not perfect with this stuff, just like everybody else on the place. It's, it's why it's why people like, like us experiment with this stuff for a li- for a living.
1: You're a scientist <laughs> and a giddy pig. That's right. So sorry.
2: What was the question? I rudely interrupted. Um,
1: no, well, you know what? I think what the answer was. I think what it came down to is again the the idea behind choosing only three things to do for the day. Some would say, well, if I'm only choosing three things, then that means I'm allowing eight out. I'm allowing three tasks using Parkinson's law, I'm allowing three tasks to expand to fill my full day.
2: This is, this is kind of one of the more interesting things about the rule of three is that over time, you know, at at first you may overshoot, um, the three things that you do and, you know, then you might, the next day you might undershoot them and not accomplish, you know, only accomplish one of them. But over time, and this is something that I found surprising. Um, it allows you to see how much capacity you have to do work every single day. Um, in that, you can understand how well you can manage your time, your attention, and your energy in order to get stuff done. And so, you can understand the limits that you have every day. In addition to understanding the constraints that you have, and by the way, you know it's not as if you know I, I spend or I I recommend spending every single minute of every single day on only three things, you know, there are the minutia of the daily work, but the key is to pick the main kind of wins and accomplishments that you'll have at the same time. So if anything, I think it helps combat against the tasks that expand to fit how much time you have. When you take that step back and you know understand, you know, okay, I way overshot my tasks um, the other day. I had more in the tank. I underestimated myself. Um, so maybe I'm gonna up it a bit today. And kind of over time, you find that equilibrium to. Uh, how productive you can be, which which I find is fascinating because then you can push on that equilibrium by, you know, doing some of the tactics in my book or in other places um, to get more focus and get more energy. So, you know, it, it's like that idea of shrinking your work, you know, you expend more energy instead of more time on your work or you spend more focus instead of more time on your work to accomplish more in the same amount of time. Because ultimately, yeah. if, if you look at the three ingredients, you know, there are ways to get more energy and there are ways to get more attention, but there are no ways to get more time. The time element is the most constrained of the three. Um, and so that I think is what these tactics have to center around. You know, for for the last um, 13 point, I think 13.8 billion years, time has ticked on on at a consistent rate Um, and that won't change. You'll always have 24 hours in the day. But what does fluctuate? You know, certain things demand your time, of course. But what does fluctuate is how much energy and focus that you have. And I think that's, those are the things that are often overlooked in so many books about time management. Um, People overlook bringing more energy and focus to their work instead of more time.
1: I think it's a great place to stop. I know that there's so much more we could talk about, and there's so much more that even in just, this conversation and again, beyond the to do list.com oh, slash seven eight seven eight callback. Uh, the two conversations you and I have had on this podcast still do not equal probably half of what's in the book. So
2: the, the book is, I don't want to go too deep into selling mode because
1: no, just uh, tell, just tell people where to go get it.
2: Yeah, go to productivityprojectbook.com dot com or just you know, good Google on Amazon.
1: Well, go go, <laughs> to, go to, to yeah, go to the show notes for this episode and you'll yeah. see the link. Click, there. click on Eric's affiliate
2: link. There you go. Then you, can, uh, you can support the show. You can
1: sell. You can sell for me.
2: Yeah. Go. <laughs> no, no, the, the the book very much is the crescendo of the productivity project I conducted. You know, I experimented with hundreds of tactics and found what works from what doesn't. And, you know, I picked the 25 things in the book and hopefully it's not too boring. That work. <laughs> that, that work, that you work. Yeah. Try to make it interesting at the same time. And I hope people find it helpful and entertaining. Again, selling, I'm taking my selling hat off right now. You don't have to buy the book of course. Um, But I I really think it'll help you get more time.
1: But you may be incentivized to if you try out some of the stuff we talked about in this episode and the other one and get get some quick wins and suddenly you're like, man, what else you got? Yeah,
2: because I have the book in front of me and it's a few hundred pages long and we just made it to page 80 with the stuff we talked about. So, there we <laughs> <Nice>. go.
1: <laughs> awesome. Chris, it's been awesome to have you back on the show again. Thanks so Thanks much for Thanks for having here. me, man. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. It's always a thrill to talk with Chris Bailey yet again. Make sure to grab The Productivity Project, Chris's book. I know that there are just nuggets left and right more so than what is just in this conversation I had with him. So if you found anything beneficial in this conversation you're going to find much more of that and deeper dives and more explanation and exploration even into the projects and the experiments that he did with productivity over the course of a year and then polished and packaged up into this nice little book. Make sure to go check that out the Productivity Project by Chris Bailey. Thanks again to Chris for joining me, and thanks again to you for listening. If you liked this episode, head on over to iTunes at com slash iTunes. Leave a rating or a review for this show. I would greatly appreciate it, and I will see you next episode.